Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Jennifer Butler, and I'm your host. There seems to be a growing population of people divorcing a partner with a personality disorder. Oftentimes, these types of cases can quickly become highly conflictual and, if not handled properly, get out of control. When divorcing under these circumstances, the rules completely change and the situation must be handled in a unique and skilled way. My guest today, Lisa Zeiderman, is a managing partner with Miller, Zeiderman, and Wiederker, a law firm based in New York who focuses on matrimonial and family law. As both an attorney and a certified divorce financial analyst, Lisa is uniquely skilled and equipped to understand, negotiate, and when necessary, litigate high net worth and or complex financial and mental health matters. Lisa is dedicated to applying her expertise to work hand in hand with her clients to reach the most favorable resolution. Lisa has been published in numerous professional journals and magazines. She authors a blog for Psychology Today magazine She lectures on divorce and family law, and she sits on the board of quite a few professional law associations. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Lisa, to discuss a topic that I know that so many people in our community really need some help and guidance on. Thanks so much, Jennifer, for having me today. I know we have so much to discuss and a ton of really just important information, but let's start with you sharing with our audience a little bit about who you are and why you're so passionate about the work that you do. I am a matrimonial and family law attorney, and I have a firm in both Manhattan and in Westchester County. We are 18 attorneys devoted to helping people through their divorce and family law issues. And I am also a certified divorce analyst, financial analyst. And I'm passionate really about what I do because I've gone through this myself. I was divorced and I saw that there was real need for um, people who could understand the stresses of dealing with finances and custodial issues through the divorce. And I wanted to be that person who could help others through their divorce process. Hmm. Isn't it so amazing how the things we go through in life really do inform our work and almost our purpose here? They really do. I was in the fashion business prior to becoming a divorce attorney and had returned to get my bachelor degree and my law degree after my divorce. And so I understand what many women um, are facing in terms of challenges and men also are facing in terms of challenges of going back into the workforce and building and changing their careers. And I think that many people throughout their lives for different reasons change their careers. And this was my career change. And it's been it's been amazing. I've met amazing people and helped many, many people through their divorces successfully. Wow, I didn't know that. That's that's amazing that you did this after your divorce. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I did. I had a child at the time and I was in school full time and in doing my undergrad and then went on to law school full time. So it was not an easy road, but I did it and I was very determined to make this work. And 
I now built an, an entire firm and I had done it as my second career. So I was well into um, my early um, 40s when I when I started this. Wow. Well, anyone listening, if you have any dreams or any sort of desire for the future, I think Lisa is a testament to anything is possible. That Thank is you. Awesome. So today we are really talking about you know, divorce when dealing with a personality disorder. And I think that, you know, like I said, I feel like it's a growing number and there's a lot of listeners who are going to really find this really valuable. What I've noticed is that sometimes people don't even really realize that they're dealing with a partner who has a personality disorder until they're getting divorced, until the divorce is underway. Have you noticed that as well? I have noticed that and many people come to me and their their cases and their issues seem so simplistic and then we are you know sometimes 6 months or even a year into the divorce and all of a sudden we're starting to see signs of a personality disorder or we've had a forensic an- analysis of the parties and evaluation and we have also found out that there were personality disorders. That being said, there were signs. People just didn't recognize them or communicate them to us. And we were perhaps the last to find out as we were going through the case. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. You know, you go through a relationship and sometimes you do just see what you want to see or block out the things that you need to block out in order to be where you are at the time. That, that's exactly right. I think that people overlook signs when they're in love. Yeah. And they are, you know, there are signs sometimes very early on for some of these personality disorders. Even when they are dating, they may have seen it. And we've heard stories where people come to me and later, you know, as we're going through the process, well, I didn't remember that he actually had been hospitalized and had suicidal ideations or there were issues with the last boyfriend or girlfriend and I didn't see that or I didn't pay attention or it didn't strike me. And so, yes, that is exactly right. They overlook it because they're in love or they overlook it because they want to have a relationship. And then those signs start to creep up, particularly in certain personality disorders through a divorce. Well, that, that love is blind, right? I mean, I just can remember, you know, my mom saying that to me. And this is like a, an example of that love is blind. So how do personality disorders begin to manifest in divorce proceedings? So we see them in various ways, but sometimes in the most horrendous ways, frankly. So examples would be we see a parent accusing another parent of child abuse when there was no child abuse taking pictures of a child who is perhaps young and often just falls in a playground and accusing the the other parent of bruising that child or, um, you know, calling child protective services when there was no reason to call child protective services, accusing a person of rape when there was consensual sex, Mm. a interference with, um, with, visitation, interference with things that are so simple as such fate, such as FaceTime calls and some sort of maligning or demeaning or a lack of ability to foster the other parent's relationship, which is, of course, the most critical thing that somebody needs to be doing as a parent, because both parents are important to this child. 
Yeah, you know, and it's a lot of acting out, right? It's almost like like a tantrum acting out. It is like a tantrum acting out sometimes, but it could also be very discreet. Mm. And it can be something that is said to the child, whispered to the child, um, inferred to the child. You know, we also see it in financial matters, such as manic spending. That's another telltale sign. We, we have had clients whose spouses have gone on huge spending sprees every single year. And they may do it at, at particular times, even at holiday times. Or they may do something such as leaving the child in a house by themselves, in an apartment by themselves, without really thinking about the consequences. Yeah. I know we're going to talk more about the child later, but it just makes me so sad because so much of what you're saying, the child gets used so much. That's correct. The child is often put in the middle. And that is the most horrible manifestation of these personality disorders. So once you begin to realize that you're in this sort of situation, the rules, I think, really get, you know, it, it gets different, right? The rules of these types of cases are different than just a regular divorce. And I would imagine that, you know, you need to proceed in a very skilled way. So how are the rules different? And what would you say that people really need to do in order to prepare and take the proper steps forward? So first, the, the, the party who is the party without the personality disorder needs to be sure that he or she is seeing a therapist. And I say that because it's important that they have a place to vent, Hmm. a place to get advice, a place that they can talk about some of these issues. They also need to make sure that they have an attorney who understands these issues and can work within those those frameworks, working with a therapist, for example, working with financial people. And, you know, people say that it takes a village. It really does take a village in this particular type of situation. And they need to find someone as an attorney they can trust and then to be very honest, specifically not to be embarrassed by some of these issues, that perhaps they made a mistake, perhaps that they didn't, you know, see these signs. Sometimes people are very upset that they brought a child into this world and didn't really see the signs and are now putting this child in the middle of this. And so it's very important that they work through these issues. It's also important that they make sure that if there is a negotiation of a settlement, that there are protections and safeguards for the custodial issues involved. So I'm just curious, are... These cases, are you ever able to do these through a mediation or out of court, or do most of these end up being litigated because they're so conflictual? Some of the the cases we do out of court. I, I wouldn't say these are the best cases for mediation. I think that these could be negotiated cases between attorneys and the parties. However, certainly some of them become high conflict divorces, and they do end up in court. And you may need, frankly, to be in court because you may need such such um, backup as forensic evaluations, psychological evaluations 
to understand what the underlying issues are and how you can best protect your children. Mm. And so in order to do that, you usually have to be in a court setting. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there things that the person with that is not personality disordered should be looking out for, you know, as they prepare and as they go through it? Well, they should certainly should be looking out for issues whereby they are, whereby their child is being put in the middle. If, if your child is being told things that are not true and, and essentially being alienated from the person who does not have the personality disorder, then that is an important sign right there. Mm-hmm. If you're seeing, and I'll go back to this manic spending of some sort, if you're seeing that your child is not being protected, um, you know, the other type of issues that you might be looking for is depression, for example, a parent who can't get out of bed in the morning, a parent who's using alcohol to mask some of this or to help through some of this. These are all signs and they're all things that you need to look out for and to protect your children from. And I would imagine documenting, correct, everything that you're noticing. Absolutely. We, we, we tell our clients that they should be documenting. They should keep a log. They should um, make sure that they are reporting these things to their attorneys, you know, also getting advice from their therapist. Um, it is very important that they communicate with their attorneys. And many times they overlook because they're so used to overlooking these behaviors. These behaviors became commonplace in their lives. And so to them, it may seem that there's no issue, really. Mm. They need to start to pay attention if they haven't already done so and to make sure that they're communicating these issues. That makes so much sense because, you know, it reminds me of like the frog in boiling water, right? Like when you turn that water up slowly, the frog doesn't even realize that it's boiling, you know, and it doesn't even know to jump out. And I've noticed that a lot. That's a lot of feedback from people who are in these types of relationships, they don't even realize it until they're out of it and looking back and, oh my gosh, I, you know, I didn't even realize it. I didn't see it. Now I can see it. That's exactly right. That's exactly what, what happens. And once they start to see it, they, they're, they usually can identify, frankly, more of these um, manifestations. Yeah. And that's when they understand that this person may not be doing the best thing for their child. Yeah, yeah. So what's the best way that you can engage the personality disordered partner? Well, through therapy, certainly, and making sure that this person is seeing a therapist and is being treated properly and perhaps even being, uh, you know, medicated to some degree, making sure that this person is getting the proper help. So we've had situations where um, parties' blood levels are tested, you know, so that if they are to be on medication and they are, you know, having a joint custody type of situation that they need to make sure that they're taking their medications properly so that they can do that. Make sure that their therapy is actually happening, that they haven't really gone off the rails in terms of that. 
and making sure that they are engaging and that they are fostering a relationship. And that's the hardest thing for some people with personality disorders is the ability to foster a relationship with the other parent. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, something such as a, um, a borderline personality disorder where it's very black and white and now you're in the middle of a divorce and it may be that that person who has a personality disorder feels very much abandoned and left and you know and then that person acts out as you said before yeah when i decided to sell my jewelry after my divorce the most important thing to me was finding a company that i could trust and one that would also advocate for me i found this and so much more at worthy Their expert staff immediately put me at ease and helped me to get the best price possible for my jewelry. Your engagement ring can be a symbol of your freedom, your journey, and the choices you have made to live your life on your terms and create the future you desire. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. So my next question then is, with many personality disorders, it can be a very, very big stretch for them to get help, for them to put themselves in therapy or agree to therapy. What do you do if that person, you know, thinks there's nothing wrong with them or just refuses? In, in certain cases, unfortunately, then we are essentially having some sort of a supervised access. Ah. And so there are cases, and we certainly have had those cases, where the parent who is not willing to have therapy, is not willing to engage, is not willing to you know deal with their issues, is having certainly access with the children, but it is supervised so that they can't actually interfere with the other parent's relationship. That makes sense. Okay. So how can someone really best protect themselves when they're going through this? I know you mentioned therapy, and I think that's really one of the best ways to take care of yourself in a highly stressful situation? Are there other ways that or other things that they can be doing to protect themselves? Yes, they, they need to find an attorney who is going to pay attention to the issues. They Their attorney should be engaging with their therapist. Their attorney should be making sure that the proper evaluations are being conducted. The forensic evaluation, for example, that I talked about, the psychological evaluations, that attorney needs to make sure that that actually occurs and that any agreement that is written or settlement agreement that is written takes into account these issues, precautions for the children, precautions in terms of spending um, monies, all of that needs to be taken into account. And so there needs to be essentially a lot of communication and safety precautions. So it sounds like you really want to look for an attorney who is skilled at this, who understands it, who has a background in dealing with these sorts of situations. That, that is essential. Yeah. It's also essential that the parent without the personality disorder remember that this is still the parent of the child, that this child is the parent is the product of both parents and that 
both parents need to be fostering a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that the parent who is recognizing the other parent having a personality disorder is still fostering the relationship because there is a relationship to have. And it is important that the children have relationships with both parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking about the children, that's exactly where I was going to go next. What else needs to be considered? You know, I I think like we said before, the child is often, you know, the one that's used kind of the pawn, right? So what needs to be considered, you know, regarding the children, keeping them safe and then also custody issues? So some of the things that need to be considered is whether supervision is appropriate or not. What level of supervision is really necessary? how long the supervision would would actually go on for, at what point can the children be unsupervised. Um, So that who is going to be the supervisor? Is it going to be a family member or is it going to be another person who is somehow retained or hired? Are the supervisors aware of the situation. It's also important that both parents remember this, that neither parent malign the other parent, that this is not something that is, frankly, spread through the neighborhood. Because when you spread this through the neighborhood, and we've seen this happen, the children are affected. People don't want to have play dates for their children. Your children become ostracized. And so it's very, very important that there, there be really a, a fine line of how to deal with this. Yeah, I imagine that that is a fine line with keeping the child safe and then also trying to keep it really a family matter. That's correct. And, and teachers should certainly, to some degree, be aware if there's issues. They should certainly be aware if there's issues of supervised access. Um, The school should be aware if there's issues of supervised access, if there's orders of protection, which that may also occur. And we have certainly had those orders of protection so that a parent does not actually have access unless it's supervised. What that level is going to be, you know, the child's therapist, the children may very well need to be in therapy. And so the child's therapist should certainly be informed. So there are people, professionals who should certainly have the information, but that doesn't mean all the neighbors need to have the information. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You said this before, and I just as I'm taking this all in, it really does take a village. It it, it is a team event, and we are very well aware that as attorneys, we are not um, therapists or psychiatrists, and so we always make sure that there are therapists on board, and as I said, that there are specialists who can deal with these issues, that the children, if the children need to be in therapy, that, you know, our our clients make sure that that actually occurs, that the therapy is regular and consistent. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the other side. Now, what if you are the one struggling with the disorder and you really want to have the best chance of getting custody of your children? What should you do? So you should make sure that you're actually in therapy, that you're actually seeing the professionals that you need to see and that you're doing it on a very consistent basis. 
That's the most important thing that the that that a court certainly will look for. Have you been consistent with your therapy? Are you following the protocols? If there is medication that's prescribed, are you taking the medication that's prescribed? Are you actually making sure that you, as the parent with the personality disorder, is watching your tone, watching what you say to the child? ensuring that the child feels safe with you and safe with the other parent. That is important. And, and making sure, again, and this I can't stress this enough, making sure that you're fostering the relationship with the other parent. If you're maligning, demeaning, denigrating the other parent, then you probably will not have the access and the custody that you would like to have. Yeah. And so like you said before, having somebody to vent to, a therapist to vent to, you know, same for that side, right? Having the therap- a therapist, someone to talk to, to vent to and work through all that so you're not handing it over to your child or your children. Yes, it's that, but it's also having a therapist who can advocate for you, yeah. right? A, a therapist who can actually advocate for you, who can who can basically ensure that you are coming and, and even testify if necessary, that you are coming on this consistent basis, that you are able to parent your children, that you have the tools, that these are discussions that you're having in therapy, that there are ways to train yourself so that you are with your therapist so that you are doing essentially the right thing for your children. Mm, Yeah, that makes, I love that advocate someone to advocate for you. So what would you say your top five do's and don'ts are in these types of divorces? So I would say if you are the person with the personality disorder, um, the top do's are to make sure that you are in therapy that you are following the protocols, that you are fostering the relationship with the other parent, that you are watching your the way in which you interact with your children and making sure that you don't interfere with the relationship with the other party and essentially being honest, honest about what your issues are and honest to your attorney and to your therapist. Very important to be transparent about these issues. Hiding them will not work. So those those would be my top do's. And then my top don'ts are essentially not to, as I said, not not to hide any of this, not, not to interfere with the other person's relationship, not to decide that you're not going to therapy, that you're not, you're, you're essentially dropping out of this issue. Mm. And if you're the parent with the, who does not have the personality disorder, then not to malign the other parent, not to denigrate the other parent, and not to interfere with the other parent's access, including supervised access. Yeah. So I know, like I said, this topic is, gosh, I feel like it's growing and growing, which is really unfortunate. Um, But I think more and more people are really having to be in this space and try to navigate through this in some way. 
It, it seems to be growing. I, I will say in our practice, we are seeing more and more of it. I don't know why that is, but we certainly are. Maybe we're more attuned to it mm. because we've seen more of it. That's possible. But we are, are definitely seeing more of it. And it, it really is important to consider. It's important to get your clients as an attorney to understand the, the background of your client's relationship with this person. I usually have my clients write a narrative from beginning to basically when they meet me of their relationship and what has happened so that I can read the entire narrative and understand what the issues are. What a great exercise, not just for you, but for your clients, because that's probably something they've never done. And they probably have never looked at their relationship from that perspective and in that way. So gosh, how informative for them too. Yes, the narrative really makes people think and it makes them think early on. So it's one of the first exercises that we ask a client to do. It, we ask them to tell us about you know, how they met the person, what the relationship was like, how the marriage worked, what were the issues, what were the custodial issues, co-parenting issues, all of that. And we, we find that people really take this seriously, that they work on it, and that we get a full narrative from the beginning. Because frankly, the intake doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. People need to sit and think about it and work on it. And it really informs the entire case. Amazing. You know, I just want to say what I love about you is I think that in these, in any divorce, but especially in these, you know, there's a tendency to sort of spark the fire. And, you know, sometimes divorces can get out of control by too many people causing more drama and more trouble. And there's something so apparent with you and how grounding you are and the way that you really do try to not light the fire, but really lower the fire and lower the, the reactivity and all of that. And I just kudos to you because I know that that's not clear across the board with all attorneys working in this field. So I just want to thank you personally for being such a grounding force in such a high conflict space. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's what we try to do. As I said, it's, it's a very stressful time for people. We don't need to add to their stress. We need to try to bring their stress down. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. So how can our listeners follow up with you after today? So they can email me at lz at mzw-law.com or they can phone at 212-769-3500 or they can visit my website at mzwnylaw.com. Thank you so much. I am sure people have just, I hope, taken notes and really just gathered a, a lot of information that I think will help them as they go through this. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you, so email us at podcast@worthy.com with any questions or ideas that you may have. We look forward to hearing from you.